Good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we'll start by acknowledging it, it is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to those who are observing it. Uh, I'm, I'm very loud. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm grateful um, today. I have uh, had four decades of being able to wish my dad a happy Father's Day, um, and then four years of being able to receive that greeting myself. I'm trying to not take any of it for granted, trying to keep it in perspective, um, trying to care for folks for whom today is hard. And um, today, uh, it's also uh, Juneteenth weekend. Juneteenth is tomorrow. Juneteenth commemorates the order that emancipated enslaved African Americans in Texas in 1865, just over 150 years ago. And so, may we celebrate what we can, what liberation has taken place for our black brothers and sisters, and, and may we keep pushing for what liberation still remains to be seen. Um, uh, today, I'm also keeping in my prayers um, friends of mine who lost their teenage son recently, whose celebration of life service was just yesterday, and then an old family friend as well uh, who pastored for decades, many decades, whose celebration of life service is, is this week. And I named just some of those things because I'm sure that each of you is also holding many things, multiple things, as you sit here this morning, spectrum of emotions. Um, I saw this image on social media this week that I thought was pretty appropriate uh, for life in general as well as this current series that we, we're in, if our screen is working. No. Well, the image was, the image was a large circle of why we should be kind. And there's a tiny dot in it that says, someone's life, and what you know about it, All right? What we know about what's going on in each other's lives is often just the tiniest sliver of the top of the iceberg. So be kind and be gracious. Let me, uh, let me pray for us as we get going. God, we, we acknowledge that we come into this weekend um, as we are. We are, we are not in control of the things that, um, that we feel um, on occasions like this weekend or just on any day, the things that come up, the things that we feel in our bodies and in our hearts and on our, and, and our minds, the things that weigh us down, the things that uh, inspire us, and yet you are with us in it all. That is your promise. You don't ask us to leave things behind or pretend they don't exist. You sit with us in them all. And so we pray that you will be with us even now. That no matter what we are holding, no matter what we are carrying, no matter what joys or sorrows we have, that we would hear from you. We would hear your words of life. We would experience that life as your spirit lives within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you are just joining us, we are currently in a series called Conflict is Key, uh, Cultivating Healthy Relationships. Conflict is Key. Uh, now, I grew up uh, in, a, in a, actually a pretty peaceful home. Uh, again, that's something I'm grateful for. It, it's not, I'm trying not to take it for granted. My, my parents would never argue in front of me. Okay, whatever disagreements they had, whatever discussions they needed to have, they would take place behind closed doors. It was their way of trying to to provide as stable an environment as they could. 
And it, and it was. It really was. I'm truly, truly grateful for it. Um, and yet every strength has its shadow side, right? Every strength has its shadow side. And in this case, growing up for me, growing up in that setting meant that I didn't get to see or experience conflict handled at all, but especially in healthy ways. And so I didn't have the opportunity to learn how to handle it myself in healthy ways. And so I found myself as a young adult in a place where any disagreement felt like a huge one. Any argument felt like the end of the relationship. Any discomfort felt like a sign from God that I should get out. Um, friendships were one thing, you know, uh, most of our disagreements were surface level and we could handle those and to be honest, sometimes I would also mold myself to fit in to be more accepted. But with romantic relationships, when they started to come along, that molding, that shape-shifting, that, well, that happened there too, but, you know, trying to be who I thought the other person wanted me to be. But several early relationships were abandoned almost as soon as we had our first serious disagreement because to me, that was a sign that we weren't compatible. We, had a, we didn't agree on everything. And I, I say that out loud, and it is ridiculous, right? We know that. We can, we can acknowledge that. It's okay. And I would, you know, feel uncomfortable with any argument, and so I would ease my way out, usually with some excuse that, you know, it just didn't feel right. It would be a while before I realized that, you know, feelings are meant to be the thermometer, not the thermostat. Feelings tell us so much about what's going on, but they're not reliable drivers. They invite us to investigate and to interrogate and to dig deeper, but they're not meant to be in charge of the controls. Much of my 20s was spent learning these lessons, usually the hard way, uh, often with heartbreak, either my own or someone else's. These lessons and so many others, it, it took me a while to learn the premise of our current series that conflict is key, that conflict in relationships is inevitable. But healthy conflict is not. And so the question driving us through this series is how then do we work through the inevitable, inevitable conflict that we encounter in our relationships in emotionally and spiritually mature ways to be a more whole people and a more whole community? Because after all, conflict is never just between two people. Right? In relationships, in friendships, in families, in workplaces, Conflict always affects more than just the individuals involved. Two weeks ago, Pastor, Pastor Matthew kicked off the series and reminded us that conflict holds the possibility of and the invitation to deeper intimacy. In fact, healthy conflict is key to deeper intimacy, and deeper intimacy is to be fully known and fully loved. We learned about the describe tool for navigating conflict. I'm po we're posting it, hopefully. Yep, we're posting it on screen in case you needed to see it and take a picture of it again. Maybe when he first brought it up two weeks ago, you were like, nah, I'm good, I don't need that, I'm good. But then this week you had a conflict and you thought it might be useful. Last week we talked about boundaries and forgiveness, reconciliation. Three things without which relationships and community cannot be healthy, cannot be life-giving. Boundaries, Forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, I remember when I was first introduced to the conflict, uh, uh, the, the concept of boundaries as a, as a uh, conflict avoidant people pleaser, seemingly overly aware or so always sensitive to 
the needs and the moods of others. When I was first told that I didn't have to shape myself, my words, my actions, to the swirling feelings and expectations of others, it was so freeing. Uh, when I learned I could inhabit my own feelings, my own desires, my own hopes and dreams, and, and not just inhabit them, but express them, it was life-changing. It wasn't easy, still not easy, but bit by bit, liberating. One of the core concepts of boundaries is that there's only one person you have some control over. And it's not the person you're in relationship with. It's not the person you're in conflict with. It's you. You're the only one you have some control over. And so the key idea for today is this. The best way to engage in conflict, which is inevitable in relationships. I'm going to keep saying that. Conflict is inevitable. The best way to engage in conflict in order to cultivate healthy relationships is to be healthy yourself. Is for you to be healthy, to be a healing person yourself, to work through your own internal conflict so you don't blast your baggage into someone else's business. Or more likely in the context of relational context, in relational conflict into your shared business. Now, as we've done every week so far, I want to name that I'm a pastor, I'm not a therapist. And so while I have had therapy, including couples counseling, and learned much from it, and uh, I've taken some classes in psychology many years ago and learned from them, and I continue to try to learn and glean wisdom from outside of this field of theology, and sometimes I get to share it here. There are others who are more educated and informed and experienced in the fields of the psychology and practice of health and interpersonal relationships and conflict, such as Garden City Center, um, the therapy practice co-founded by our very own Stacey Schwenker-Mayo and with whom we share our office space on H Street. And to put in another plug, next Sunday evening, in partnership with Garden City, we're hosting an online workshop, How to Have Healthy Conflict. It's intended to be a free resource to equip all of us, all of you, Christ City members and friends, <clears throat> to navigate conflict well from the perspective of a therapist and counselor. So if you'd like to be a part of it, you can RSVP using the link or the QR code on the screen this next Monday evening. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the best way to engage in conflict in order to cultivate healthy relationships, to develop deeper intimacy, is to be healthy yourself, to be a healing person, to be a person who is being healed so you can offer healing. Well, I figured that another uh, good place, in addition to Garden City, another great place to learn uh, how to deal with conflict was, uh, you will be stunned to hear, Jesus. <laughs> After all, if what it means to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus, and if what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, as we explored just a few weeks ago, is to be learning to live as Jesus would if he were in our place. And if Jesus is the fullest embodiment of God in human form, then we see in Jesus both who God is and who we are made to be as those made in God's image. So if we want to learn how to navigate conflict well, we will not go wrong learning from the one who lived as well as anyone ever has, as well as anyone ever could. Now, since we 
Uh, just finished a two-year journey through Mark's gospel. It was fresh in my mind, so I looked through again for moments in which Jesus encounters conflict. And let me tell you, in case you've forgotten or didn't know, there are many instances when Jesus encounters conflict. Conflict with religious leaders, conflict with his family, conflict with his disciples, conflict with those coming to him for help. Uh, but I also looked around those uh, episodes of conflict because the reality is who we are in conflict in those pressure moments is often just a reflection of who we have been becoming in the other moments. Okay? Who we are in those pressure moments, those high intensity moments, is often just where who we've been the rest of the time comes out. And what I saw again is what I want to suggest to you this morning, three dimensions of healthy and whole humanity, which are person, people, and purpose. And I'll go into that. Person, people, and purpose. The first instance of Jesus encountering conflict is in the very first few verses of Mark, in chapter 1. The Spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan is almost the very first thing that we see of Jesus, conflict with Satan. Now, our series, this series, was intended to be about conflict in interpersonal relationships, not in spiritual warfare, although the two can sometimes be connected. <clears throat> and the person you're in conflict with can seem like the enemy, <laughs> big E or small E. But what I want to focus on as it pertains to your own health, your own humanity, who you are as you are in conflict is actually the very first thing we see of Jesus in Mark's gospel. In, verses, in uh, verse 9, it says, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While Jesus was coming up out of the, uh, the water, he saw heaven splitting open and a spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my son whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. The very first dimension of being your healthiest self is a person, who you are, your identity. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew whose he was. He was God's son. That was affirmed to him by the Spirit of God right before that same Spirit led him into the wilderness. And when the enemy said to him, did God really say, as the enemy is wont to do, he knew to answer, I know who I am. I know I am beloved. Conflict has a way of shaking our foundations. It can mess with um, our sense of belovedness, especially if it's with someone we really care about or if it takes a while to resolve or if it never gets resolved. And yet it is in listening to the Spirit of God telling us you are made in the image of God. You are dearly loved. That we can be in those difficult and testing and sometimes terrifying moments. We can stand with our feet firmly set on the foundation of who we are and whose we are. You know, not with a sense of entitlement, you know, like I'm made in the image of God, you can't talk to me like that. With a sense of responsibility as those made to represent God, including in our conflict, and with a sense of acceptance, of being accepted, 
as those who are beloved in spite of how we may be, what we may say or do in those conflicts. We are still loved. How then are you working on knowing who you are as God's image bearer, as God's beloved, out of conflict so that you can hold on to it in conflict? Irish poet and mystic John O'Donohue wrote, there is a place in you there is a place in you where you have never been wounded, where there's still a sureness in you, where there's a seamlessness in you, and where there is a confidence and tranquility in you, the deepest part of our being. And he said, I think the intention of prayer and spirituality and love is now and again to visit that inner kind of sanctuary, that place where we're reminded of our personhood, of our identity, of who you are, where you get to hear the voice of God whisper, you are made in my image. You are beloved. All of that is at the, the core. That's at the, the deepest level of, of theological truth. Knowing who you are, well, uh, knowing who you are can also be about knowing your history. Right? It can be about knowing your, your triggers and your traumas, it, doing the work of disarming the emotional landmines you built to try to protect yourself doing the work of healing from hurts, being able to identify how and when something from your past pops up, maybe even in current conflicts, and that's work you'll probably want and need to do with a therapist or a spiritual director or pastor. But let me, uh, I'm also going to give one tool here, one practical tool. Knowing who you are in conflict can be as simple and practical as knowing whether you're a turtle or a hailstorm. Okay? turtle or a hailstorm. When my wife and I did couples counseling years ago, we were introduced to the analogy of turtles and hailstorms. And it changed how we communicate in conflict, and it's something that I always uh, refer to when I'm counseling other couples as well. The idea comes from uh, imago relationship therapy, and it's this idea that each of us is more inclined to re react a particular way to conflict. On the one hand, all of us have all of this in us, but we might lean a particular way. So on the one hand, you might have someone who wants to minimize or to shut down, to conserve energy in conflict, to turtle, right? And then on the other hand, you have someone who might want to maximize by opening out loudly, by processing externally, by pushing all of the energy out, by hailing. Now, the problem is when turtles meet hail, they turtle more. And when hailstorms see turtles turtling, they hail more. And so the cycle continues. And so something as simple as knowing whether you're a turtle or a hailstorm can help you know what your instinctive reaction is, what your automatic reaction is, and how to resist feeding an unhelpful cycle. All right? Turtle and hailstorm. So different levels of knowing who you are, trying to be helpful all around here. The second dimension, we skip forward just a couple chapters to Mark 3, we find another significant conflict episode. Chapter 3, in the, in the space of two verses, verses 21 and 22, Jesus is accused by his family of being out of his mind, and then he's accused by Jewish uh, legal experts of being possessed by demons. Now, perhaps this, this holds parallels for you in, in terms of conflict with those we're close to, your family, your Conflict with those who take issue with our, with our work. And yet again, look around. 
before and after, verses 21 and 22, before, in verse 11, we're told about Jesus' encounters with evil spirits, and they would fall down at his feet, and they would shout, you are God's son, person, identity, who he was. But then from verses 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach. And then from after, in verse 35, when he's told that his family, who think he's out of his mind, they've come to collect him, he says, whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. The second dimension of being your healthiest self is people. Know your people. Jesus knew where he belonged. It was among those doing the will of God. Sandwiching this conflict with the family and with his rival leaders, for those who remember, this is the Markin sandwich. We haven't talked about that in a while, but we talked about it a lot for a long time. In the middle here is Jesus calling them, calling his disciples and naming them as his family, as his people. So who are your people? Those who are likewise seeking to do the will of God those who will point you to Jesus and encourage you on the journey of becoming more like him, those who will pray with you and pray for you, especially when you don't have the words or the strength to, to, to do it yourself, those who will hold you accountable, who will call you out when you're acting the fool or call you in when you need to be restored, those who will serve alongside you and sacrifice for you and show up when you need them. We need those people to be healthy. We, we need those people so we can be healthy in conflict. People we can rely on to give wise counsel or an objective ear. People we know are praying for us in, in our parenting or in our marriages or in our dating or in our friendships or in our work or in our families, wherever we are experiencing conflict. We're working to cultivate healthy relationships. People who can hold trust. And that might be a therapist. It might be a spiritual director. It might be... Um, a friend who can keep confidence. It might be the folks in your small group. It might be one of the staff or elders. Who, who are your people? And if you're not sure about the answer to that, maybe ask God to show you a next step of reaching out. And if you already know your people, if you already know your people, maybe ask God to show you who needs some people of their own. Uh, one more episode from Jesus' life. And it is the most harrowing. It is the most challenging. His arrest, his betrayal, his trial, his torture, and his death in chapter 14. Conflict with friends who abandoned him and deserted him and denied him. Conflict with a friend who betrayed him and sold him out. Conflict with religious leaders who framed him, a political leader who sentenced him, soldiers who tortured him, outlaws who mocked him, and even a God who seemed to leave him at his greatest hour of need. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What came before all of this was a quiet moment in a garden where Jesus prayed and said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. So the third dimension 
of being your healthiest self, this purpose, what we're here for, what we're here to do, what we're part of that's bigger than ourselves and our own comfort. Fuller Seminary professor of clinical psychology and trauma specialist, Dr. Cynthia Erickson says, that the research shows having a sense of transcendence, of having a sense of a bigger picture, it enables us to keep going in those difficult moments, to say, this is really hard, but this is why I'm doing it. Jesus knew what his mission was. It was to be the love of God to a world in need. It was to embody the God who is love and show the people made in God's image how to love. It was to love God, his Father, his heavenly parent, with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to do that by loving neighbor as himself. And for Jesus, his neighbors, those whom he loved even more than his own life were every human being who has ever lived or ever will live, and all of creation along with it. For us, our neighbors are those we encounter in the course of our lives, whether randomly or in relationships. Our neighbors are those in need, and who is not? That we have an opportunity to care for, an obligation to care for. If we understand our purpose in life as to be agents of God's love, vessels of God's hope, ambassadors of God's kingdom, carriers of God's power and presence, even within us, how then might we act in our conflicts, large and small? Perhaps in following the example of Jesus, we might be able to do the right thing instead of the easy thing, to do what is good instead of just what we are tempted to do. Perhaps we might hold our tongue and not say the unhelpful thing we want to say, or perhaps we might speak up rather than switching on the silent treatment. And I say this as someone who used to use the silent treatment, thinking that uh, people could read my mind or my mood or my body language and immediately know what was wrong or what I needed. It, it doesn't work. Hollywood makes you think that it does because you've got all the broody characters. It's not how life works. In moments of weakness, I can still fall back into old habits, but uh, I'm trying as one seeking to love in conflict, to lean into clear, consistent, compassionate communication. If our purpose is to love, how then shall we be, and how then shall we be in conflict? Uh, there was so much I wanted to pack in today. Uh, I wanted to talk about shame and and recognizing our bodily reactions and triggers in conflict. I wanted to talk about trauma and secondary trauma and about the information age we live in that exposes us to far more than we were ever meant to handle and far more than we know how to hold. So it's no wonder we feel tired and anxious and overwhelmed much of the time, not even counting all of the things that we're carrying in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. But I'm still learning and working through that myself, so I'm not ready to teach it. Maybe we'll get to address that in next week's workshop. As I said, there was so much I wanted to talk about. Uh, you may also have noticed that we read uh, all of Psalm 139, that Isabel read all of Psalm 139 earlier in the service, but I've yet to touch on it. I did think about preaching from it. I, I, I'm not preaching from it. <laughs> but the psalm is one I come back to often when I need to be reminded of who I am and whose I am. 
and the call back to the work of being and becoming my healthiest and healing self. It's a beautiful reminder. The psalm is a beautiful reminder of God's presence with us and our belovedness in God's eyes. And I would encourage you this week, just take time to meditate on it, sit with it, and let it steep into you. Call it soul work. But there is, um, there's also a, a, a frankly awkward section right towards the end of the psalm, right, where, where David goes off on God's enemies. Like you're, you're going through it and you're like, oh, God's presence, God's love. I hate your enemies. <laughs> I do. And you're like, whoa, can we skip that? <laughs> he goes off on God's enemies. He asks God to punish them. And he, he kind of he bigs himself up. You know, he's like, I, I, I hate everyone who hates you, God. I'm, I'm with you. They're my enemies too. And then it returns almost as quickly as it sprang up to this beautiful self-reflection for the ending. It's like the, the, the psalmist got distracted a little bit. And Eugene Peterson uh, interprets this as David being stopped. He doesn't use this language, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He interprets this as David being stopped in his hailstorm tracks by the presence of God. Being reminded that in the words of a wise descendant of his, take the log out of your own eye. Examine me, God. Look at my heart. Put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts. Look to see if there's any idolatrous way in me. And then lead me on the eternal path. We get so easily swept up in externalizing our, our problems onto somebody else and saying, hey, I, I don't like them. You don't like them. I'm pretty sure that you don't like them. And that's why I don't like them. And God is ever and always saying, I'm right here with you. What do you need to do? What do you need to hear? What do you need to work on? What do you need to be reminded of? These three dimensions of health and healing and true humanity at least point to if they're not part of the eternal path, I think. Person, people, purpose, knowing who you are, knowing where you belong, knowing what you're called to, bringing the presence and peace of God into every moment of your existence, being among the people of God who are always seeking to be loving, and being about the work of God to bring restoration, renewal, and liberation to all things. That is life as God intended. Now, knowing and living into these three dimensions, it doesn't mean you won't experience conflict, that you will always navigate it well, or that you will always end up with the outcome you want. In fact, I can promise you, I can guarantee you the opposite of all of those things, that you will experience conflict, you won't always navigate it well, and you won't always end up with the outcome that you want. But this is the way to be and become your healthiest, healing, growing in love self. This is who God made you to be. This is who Jesus was. It's who the Spirit is inviting us and drawing us toward, growing us into. This is, who, this is what the world needs more of. The work of navigating conflict and being healthy in the midst of it, it takes place in every moment outside of conflict as well. So why not start now? Would you pray with me?